This episode is a continuation of the previous episode from Across the Aisle podcast with Senator Bobby Zirkin. Please make sure you've listened to the previous episode before continuing with this one. Enjoy! Hi, this is Senator Bobby Zirkin. Thank you so much for listening to Across the Aisle podcast. Please be advised that the podcast may deal with legislation and issues of suicide, drug abuse, domestic abuse, crime and punishment and violence, and other such sensitive issues. Thank you again for listening to Across the Aisle podcast. Um, all right, so 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 that's on on the abortion issue, and how, so now, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt on guns. Yeah. So where are we at? I had Penac here the other day. Yeah, Penac. Talk about the bipartisan stuff. I mean, look, Mark is uh, he. I think he's the, the the foremost expert in in gun policy and constitutional law uh, in the state, and maybe even in the. I mean, he's Smart really guy. good, really yeah. good. Um, so I actually work with him a lot. We have we are every. It's funny we are. Much, very much opposed in our uh, position on on firearms and firearm safety. But Mine too. Me too. We <laughs> yeah. were fighting about the red flag law. I was like, oh, dude, God. can you just leave my red flag law alone, well, please? He's like, oh, I'm going to sue He's it. like, well, I'm going to – that's unconstitutional. So I'm like, please leave that alone. It's helping save lives. So he's he's very good. And so talking about what's being radically inclusive, bringing people in to make good policy, like I always have him in. He's always in the back room. And uh, we talk about it. And every time we sit, we're sitting just like we, we are right now. And I say, we're going to we're gonna move forward with this. And he's like, well, okay, I'll sue you. I'm just going to sue you. And he always does. And most of the time he wins. And so what we've, as a result of Bruin, uh, we passed a series, three major uh, gun safety bills, Senate Bill 1, and then- Bruin was the case, just for people who don't know what you're talking about. Bruin was the case out of New York. Out of New York. The Supreme Court that basically undid the good and substantial reason to have a- a, a, a a Where carry permit. Where carry permit. Yeah. And then also, you know, then it infused this new standard of like this historical analog instead of like a means test or a balancing test. So like there was a, the Supreme Court kind of opined on that as well. So it's it's com- that makes no sense to me. Between by the way. that and Heller, you've got we're just in a different place where we were, you know, before the Supreme Court, court uh, uh, took its seats. So um, just to give you perspective, so the Maryland State Police before Bruin came down used to issue between ten and thirteen thousand wear carry permits a year. Right. After Bruin came down last June, they have already done – we're close to 200,000, which means they're doing more in a month than they would do in a year after wow. Bruin came down. So there's just going to be more permits. More permits doesn't necessarily mean more firearms, but you can logically conclude that you're just going to see more more firearms are going to be in the stream of social conscious, uh, commerce in Maryland as a result of Bruin. That's just a fact. So what we did was to curtail where you could wear it uh, – um, what you had to go through to get your permit, so some of the licensing requirements we, we enhanced, and we've created more buffer zones for like sensitive locations is what we've deemed them. And so this is what you probably had a pretty vigorous conversation with uh, Mark about is, let's say you're talking about uh, the Raven Stadium or uh, you know private property. We talked, we had vigorous discussions on where that you know could, was there a default position for private property. Obviously, you have trespass law that you can you can uh, enforce. Um, if you say, hey, like no firearms on my property, if I'm a, a store owner or if I'm obviously if it's in my property, my, my personal home. Um, but was there a presumption uh, for any private property being a gun-free zone? We argued about that. Um, think about when you have large swaths of land in urban and uh, suburban areas. How would you know when you drift onto someone's property? 
Are there signage requirements? That's a fair question. Are there signage requirements? Right. Um, what if you have a government building that you've extended, but then there's a part of a private, like usually a building like this, you have several offices right. and you've kind of balkanized the building. So where does it apply? Like all these small nuanced questions we had to kind of go through. And it's exactly what Mark's going to do. He's, it's exactly what he did the day the governor signed the bills. They dropped the They sued. Right. They, the governor signed it at noon. They sued it too. Um, so we'll have those discussions moving forward. And we also uh, enhanced our, uh, our uh, safe storage law a little bit. So, What do you say to him um, or to his argument that by – because, you know, I, I was trying to spar with him, although it's difficult because he is really smart. But um, – and I, I am I – am, not as smart, but uh, he has an encyclopedic knowledge. He's an encyclopedic he knowledge of cases. Every time I ask him a tough question, cases. he just yeah. he referenced some case that I obviously didn't know about from some random circuit, like in Montana or something. Yeah, I'm but, like, that is a that well, is a that, yeah. diversionary tactic. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But I couldn't argue. Talk to me about the Fourth Circuit, man. <laughs> right. yeah, give me a break. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, you know, but what, what do you say to the kind of the general argument that by creating these so-called you know, sensitive areas that all you're doing is creating a sensitive area for people who are law abiding and not for the people who don't really care about your sensitive area law that you, that it makes it, he, he did, I think in much more erudite terms, try to say that that made people less safe. No, this, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm curious what, what your, you know, what's your, what's your read on that? You're much closer. So I'll answer that and then I'll, I could take it more abstract than that. But like, so I think fundamentally more weapons, more guns makes us less safe. So, I mean, we're the only, you know, uh, industrialized nation. There are more weapons, more firearms than people in the United States. And we have the highest rate of gun violence and gun death. Gun violence is a leading cause of death for children in this country. Nowhere on the face of the earth is the problem so prevalent. It's because we have too many damn guns. Um, and we have too many, and now we have more, too many guns in public spaces. I think arguments that, uh, that would normally in, you know, have a vigorous conversation or argument and people have a ver verbal exchange are now going to devolve um, more quickly. Um, I, I think it's a terrible, I think you're going to have more thefts and there are going to be more guns that enter the illegal market as a result of this case. I think we're fundamentally going to be a less safe nation because of the Bruin case. And I, I think that's fundamentally, that's just a philosophical difference that, that we have to start with. Now, then you talk about the constitutional application and, and the interpretation of, of this new standard. And again, I, I, I go back to, we talked about this a little bit earlier, I go back to Hillary Clinton and that election and people that couldn't get off their duffs to vote or get excited for Hillary Clinton. And I, again, I talk about this, uh, Joe Biden, we're, we're about to go into the new election cycle. He always says, you know, don't judge me by the almighty, judge me by the alternative. And I used to think that was inspired nonsense, but it, it has new, it, no, seriously. I, like I mean, that phrase. You know I mean? <laughs> but it, it has new resonance now because it's, yeah. look at the alternative. Hillary Clinton was not the perfect candidate. I liked her. I voted for her. I would vote for her again. I think she'd be a, she would have been a fantastic president. I think she would be a fantastic I president. I agree. Um, but the alternative is was Donald Trump, which was disastrous, but that also gave you the Supreme Court that has now stripped away rights and has now said that you can have a gun anywhere. And and that's the reality. And so when you think about getting you're not you can't get jazzed for these presidential elections, you don't want to vote, or that's not the perfect candidate. Yeah. I think you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, look, like, well, this is the result of that. And had Hillary Clinton been elected, the Supreme Court would be different and we'd be living in a fundamentally different world right now. I don't want to do, go too deep into that rabbit hole, but like, I, I think this election is going to be fascinating because oh. right right now, I mean, I like Joe Biden. So do I. 
I mean, I think fundamentally, yeah. I do too. Fundamentally, he is what I want to see. Throughout his career, he's been a nonpartisan, bipartisan legislator, yeah. right? He's a, like, it's funny, we, Huff and I were talking about this too. It's like, you know, people rag on him because he's, quote, establishment. I, that is the, like the most nonsensical it's, insult ever. Like, all that means is that somebody understands the system also, and knows what to do and isn't just some idiot you know, barking, barking at the moon from the sidelines. That's right. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, let's say, for example, yep. right? I mean, she's some moron who's never done anything, yet she gets attention. Whereas Joe Biden, through all those years, was a really bipartisan, nonpartisan guy. Yep. Um, that being said, I'm concerned, my concern, this is my personal thing. Listen, I can say what I want at these times, but I'm concerned about the possibility of him losing to a wackadoodle-doo like uh, Donald Trump or that, or that, you know, DeSantis. DeSantis, DeSantis or however yeah, which is even worse. I mean, yeah. that guy's a smart version of of being a prick. I mean, I it's like I don't know. It's just it's it's just a horrifying, in my opinion. I mean, first of all, anybody that goes after Mickey Mouse disqualifies themselves <laughs> right off the Same bat. That's the true in my household too. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can ask right, ask any child. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like, so here's a question. So I had. You know, as I was telling you before, I had lunch the other day with with our former governor, yeah. who I actually thought was fantastic. I mean. You know, I was very good friends with Martin O'Malley, who ran for president. Yep. You know, and very good friends with Larry Hogan, who, you know, if it's not going to be Joe Biden, certainly hope it would be somebody like a Larry Hogan as an independent. I mean, I just, I'm fascinated by the possibility of, terrified that that helps, a, you know, a, a Donald Trump, but fascinated by the idea of a unity ticket. Yeah. No, look, I mean, I'll tell you, even something that happened just yesterday at the Air Force Academy graduation, Joe Biden fell. On the stage, it was pretty. It was captured, and look, I mean, people fall all the time, all the time. Um, but you know, as was noted earlier, like like he's he's eighty one years old. No one's been eighty one running for president and running right. for re-election. And and so when you're eighty one and you fall, and you and and and, the, it's a legitimate question to to be asked. Now look at his record of accomplishment, yeah, which is unparalleled for the last two or three decades. I mean, he's done an amazing job. Uh, look what just happened. Two days ago, where a bipartisan bill was passed through both the House and the Senate um, to raise the debt limit and to stave off a, a, a financial crisis that would have affected our economy and the entire world's economy. So, yeah. and he did that with Republican and Democratic votes. That's the way. That, that's how yeah. I like. That's yeah. what I love about yeah. that guy. And so he did it. And I give credit to McCarthy too for actually oh, yeah. no, stepping no. up and doing exactly that too. right. No, no, he's he, got those. You know wax on his side also. Uh, so you've got the nutshells on that side too. So it's right. it's. I think he's got to run on his record, but you you can't steer away from the fact that like yeah like, that's going to be on people's minds. I mean he's eighty one, right? Uh, he'll be the oldest president ever. He is the oldest president ever. I think he did did a great job with like the. I mean you would know a million times more than I would, and probably can't even talk about it. I didn't think he do it did a particularly good job like when he first got in about Afghanistan. I thought that that was. I don't think it was necessarily his fault, but like that would I think Trump had a hell of a lot to do with that, from what I understand. Yeah, but like. That didn't look so good. Well, I, I mean, look, I'm still in the Navy Reserve, so I'll comment, but I, I was, I wish it would have been done in a little bit more awful way. I mean, I think you could, yeah. I mean, you, you don't could, have to ask Yeah, that. yeah, but I, I <laughs> that's my own It was painful opinion. to watch, I'll put it that way. Yeah, that, that, it, but. Haven't been there, you know, it was painful. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I think this last thing, what you were just talking about, showed how, like, that's how it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And yeah, and he said it right, and McCarthy said it right. No, you're not getting everything you want. Like, yep. I don't know if I would love everything that was in there. I don't know, I, but I, I also know enough to know that I don't know enough, right? Like, I would, I would never presume to have an opinion on what they just did. 
it's just fascinating to see all the people in their comments online who thinks that think that they do because they don't know they don't know anything, anything about what's in there, but they have opinions about it based on what they're told by like going right back to him, Dan Bongino or something yeah. like that, right? I mean, like that 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 schmo says something on his podcast. I'm trying to create like a podcast. podcast beef, no, you know? no, look, I mean, he's look. I mean, you're right. Like that guy, so, someone like him, he's terrible. Right? I mean, he's terrible for the discourse, terrible for dialogue, terrible. Not, not sophisticated actor, not right. a, not interested in policy, not interested in protecting or advancing Americans, right? Just it's a big dude scoring the cheap shots, right? And cheap shot who goes to the gym yeah. and and yeah. says garbage online and doesn't be. I bless him. He's making money doing it, and he's uh, America, man. Yeah, you know, God bless America. I mean, yeah. he's, he's he's getting money, but it's the same thing as Tucker Carlson, right? He's just a a bow tie version of Dan Bongino. You're just saying the most crazy, inane things, you know, and laughing oddly, whatever, and yep. like somehow that substitutes for real news, like create conspiracies and you get people to listen to you. I mean, it's just, this is the way, you know, this type of dialogue. And I can't wait to have you and Hoff and Reedy and Jeff and all these guys. That's the way it's supposed to be. Like friends who are, and Jill Carter and people like that sitting around, all friends, completely different perspectives talking about policy. Yep, that's right. That's the way it gets done. That's how you too. I mean, we, this is a little bit of a deviation, but it's true about like how policy gets done. I mean, and, and you saw more of this than than I have because I'm telling you it's fleeting. But you'd have people, and I'm not going to tell you know dime anyone out now. But like you'd have people that were would would vote against the bill, and they were always going to vote against the bill, but they knew the bill was coming. But they would sit down and they would make it better, and want nothing to do with the bill otherwise. But sat down to the policy making table, made it better. We're missing we're missing a lot of that, even in Annapolis, which I think. I hope we can get back to that because it was a very good, uh, thoughtful way. And they'd go out and bang against the bill in public, right. and, you know, but they they sat down and said, look, like, let's make this better. And you've yeah. got a few people in Annapolis that still do that. Not as many. You know who's great? That was Castley, Bob Castley, yeah. Harford mm-hmm. County executive. That dude, like he and I, I mean, he was a defense attorney and I was a plaintiff's attorney. He was like, we were just opposites in terms of our lives. He's, he's rural. I was more urban. You know, it's just all these different Democrat, Republican. I loved that guy, even though... He was he he disagreed with everything I said, and I disagreed with most of the things that he, he said, said. But yeah. like he would, my favorite thing he used to do is he would take a look at my bill, and he would just be you know with his eye you know his zoom in on zoom in, and he would be like, Mr. Chairman, yeah, he said you know listen this bill is awful, and I'm voting against it, and I can't and I hope this bill dies. But if you're gonna pass this bill, can you please look at page four, line, line twenty two? Yeah. Can you at least change that because it is grammatically stupid and incorrect, and you it needs to say dot 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 that he would find these details, and he's like, and it doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't work that way. So if you're gonna pass this moronic, idiotic bill that I'm gonna vote against, at least make it make sense and make it work. And we're like appreciate you. You know, it's like he would find these always, things always. and it would help you to make the law better, even though he hated the bill. He did that all the, he had an uncanny ability to zone in and find like the structural problem with a bill or a grammatical error or something that just didn't make an incongruity that didn't make any damn sense. He could find it and he would tell you right uh, all the time. And so I, I had a great working with that guy. I had a great relationship with him. He was tough to deal with. He was so smart. And then he, I mean, and then he'd, he'd fight on the floor. Right, he'd and bang then, you on the floor. Yeah, and then we'd come back and we'd laugh and you know, right. go back to work. You know, right. it was we always beat him. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We beat him. I mean, you knew he was going to be beat, but he would go on and on and on. I mean, but that's where's that in Washington right now? It's n- it's not it's nowhere. I mean, it's that's that's it's that's what I'm saying. It's fleeting, and even in the state houses where I think it's actually even more important, uh, it's it's more fleeting than it was before. So I, hopefully, we get more people like that that 
come back to the table and understand like the the importance of the job that they have. All right, we got more bills to do, well, and I'm sure I'm gonna get like the snap from from the producer over here to my right. But whatever, we're going on until until uh, until we've run out of things to talk about, and then I got you know, then we're gonna go get some sandwiches. There you so, go. But here's my question: You guys passed a bill this year, and just to be fair and open, I was consulting the Catholic Conference on yeah. this bill. It who you know look. And just just to pee it up, this is a bill that prospectively, which was not the problem, but yeah. retroactively allowed lawsuits against um, people that had done um, certain child uh, sex offenses, mm-hmm. a range of them, against minors, so anybody under the age of 18. And the interesting part of the issue was if you had missed your statute of limitations, meaning like this happened in 1960 and you didn't sue – for whatever the reason, you would now, for any reason, whether, you know, for whatever reason, yeah. that you would now be able to file a lawsuit against whoever did this to you and the institutions and so forth. And, uh, you know, let me just, let me just, yeah. <laughs> it's so law, it's so big, like every single law firm in the entire state of Maryland and every national law firm that has enough money to advertise in the state of Maryland is like, flooding our social media with their advertisement because this is big, big, big money potentially for these firms. It also, you know, I want to know your perspective on it and then maybe we'll dig a little bit into the details if that's all right. Sure. Well, that builds on the last time we kind of touched this issue before this session was 2017, where you basically said that a victim of child sex abuse had until they were either 18 or 20 years past the age majority. So either they're 18, they'd be 18, 20 years past their 18th birthday. So 38. Yeah, thirty eight. You could sue. You could sue. You could sue, right. sue. And then, or you could. You had three years to go back after the criminal. Even if the criminal, like it, it, the person, was convicted of the underlying civil genesis for the civil. Right. Because so there's had, no there's no statute of limitations for, for these the criminal crimes. stuff. You yeah, can yeah, be prosecuted forever and ever I'm until at. you're yeah. you know 177 years old. So then the law gave you three years past that point. When so if it happened 40 years later and you had three years past that point to to bring a civil suit. So okay. So what this bill uh, sought to do, or what, what this bill does, what this new law does, is says, look, you're, you can go uh, prospective, of course, that was always the law, uh, but then retro, you can go back. There's, no, there's, there's an infinite look back window, um, but we're going to cap the, ability, the uh, amount of recovery. And for private entities, it's 1.5. For one transaction or occurrence, how, you know, that's the same language that's in this Tort Claims Act right now that we just plugged in. So... There's a matter of discussion of how that will be interpreted in the future. Um, we can We're going to talk about that we in a second. Can, we can get into I that. think yeah. that I yeah, had we, a case we can, on this. We can, and we can get into that. But go yeah. ahead. Continue. So that, and then for a governmental entities, which there's a state tort claims act, the local tort claims act, and then one for uh, school boards, local school boards. And those have been put on the books deal with state sovereign immunity and the state exposing itself. And it's kind of poor choice of words, but uh, uh, to, to liability. Um, and those have been put on the books at various uh, points of times over the last 40 years. Um, so the caps there were at 400,000, and now we bumped them up to 890,000 per transaction or occurrence. So, um, and then prospectively, uh, that applies to the government side of the house as well. So those caps are bumped up retro and prospectively. Okay. And for obviously, there you know, for there no there are no caps for prospective private entity claims anyway. So there's there's, there's no just whatever the, the courts decide. So. Um, the difficulty and the, uh, you know, the controversy of going retroactively is that you have a, you had a law in place that 
it was, and you had this language that's called it a statute of repose. A statute of repose vice a statute of limitations is basically, I think, you know, before any, before this came out, I didn't know what this was, the different, the distinction between the two, but I bet you, you know, 99% of lawyers in Maryland had no blessed right. idea either. But the statute of repose is a much more firm uh, ending because it, it, there's a, there's a time in which the clock starts and then there's a time when the clock ends. It's not when you knew or should have known. So that triggers the, the clock essentially. So a statute of limitations is like, you know, when you knew or should have known whenever that happened, whenever something happened, it's like a three-year statute of limitations or whatever. Right. Um, statute of repose is like more finite, uh, more not finite, more firm, more certain. And so that it's in uncaught, the, the statute of repose in the 2017 law was in uncodified language, but it was there. Yeah, um, I know and, exactly. Yeah, I yeah, was there yeah, when, yeah, it yeah, happened. when it happened. Yeah, so but this it, was, it's I, very clear. Like it's yeah. it, and it and then just for the record. Yeah, <laughs> just that there's any record. No, there's a, but I mean it's there. I this mean was, look, it's, yeah, this it's was there. a I, I, yeah. Um, it, that language was put in there by Delegate Wilson, and who's the sponsor of the bill, and John Steerhoff mm -hmm. from the Catholic Church and others. They had they came up with their agreement, put it in there. So like, it's been a little bit of. Uh, I know it's controversial. Yeah, it's a little little bit of um of um kind of revisionist history from some of the groups that pushed this as to where that all came from. I think it. I mean, there's a record of it and so forth, which is it's neither here nor there. Let me let me it's, ask you about that though. Like statutes of repose are mostly found in construction. In law construction, because it's it settles markets because there's a time opinion? that it ends and like you know that there's a you can't be sued for an activity that happened. So it, it, mark no one would ever build anything if you could. Right. If you didn't have censure about it. So, yeah, I get it. So here's my question. Like, because the Court of Appeals, now the Supreme Court of Maryland, which was a terrible idea to change that name. But anyway. But, Talk to Senator Peters about it. Yeah, that. I know. He, I used to hear. Anyway, but that's a different issue from yeah. a different day. They said in multiple cases, as far as I can see, pretty specifically, forget about statute of repose, mm -hmm. that you cannot – Go back on statutes of limitations that there's a right, a vested right, vested property, meaning like, let's say, take it away from this from this issue for a second. So like at some point, so, so I get into a car accident with you, there's a three year statute of limitations. If I sue you, if I file my lawsuit on three years and one day, I'm out. And the Court of Appeals has said you know, our Supreme Court has yeah. said you cannot the general assembly even if they all of a sudden decided that they wanted to allow these retroactive suits for car accidents yeah. that you forgot your statute or missed it or whatever reason they have said in cases you can't do it like they've said it i don't know a dozen times is and like you can't do it you can't do it you can't do it you can't and the reason is because jimmy jones and state farm his car insurer has a the set on 3 years and one day they own that money that they could have had to give you as a vested property right that's that's the theory behind it and the constitution says that the declaration of rights how does this bill how, how is that as it relates to the private entities like how can this court of appeals make a decision other than that the argument would be the rejoinder would be i mean the most recent in time would probably be the duo versus comcast case and i think the the the, the rejoinder would be that the, those two instances the the case that was articulated is, is adjacent to the issue before us so the two, one is for for claims that have been brought and then satisfied okay the duo and comcast said that's clearly out um 
on point because that case dealt with two things. One was uh, like uh, interest rates on uh, a bill, right. and one was like a, a some sort of a benefit. I'm remembering correctly, but so one is the claims that were brought that were settled, okay, clearly out. One was that claims that were pending once the door closed out, but revived claims that were never brought was never specifically on point addressed in these cases and this case law. So you, you have opinions that were kind of adjacent to the issue before us, but not directly on point. And that would be the, that would be the, the argument, I think, the counter argument. Now, whether you believe that is, is you know, it's up to the that's up to Chief Judge Fader yeah, yeah, and the court, yeah. up to the Supreme Court. Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I think you're, you're going to just the argument would be, you know, there are kind of cases adjacent, but never nothing, nothing directly on point to a revived claim that was never brought. So if I if this were to be upheld. Could, right? Could I, could I lobby if I had, cause I've had cases that have come in the law offices of Zarkin and Schmerling yeah. located in place for, no, I'm joking, um, that people miss their statutes of limitations yeah. for all kinds of torts, automobile accidents, medical malpractice, products, liability, mm -hmm. all of those things. If this were to be held constitutional, meaning all of a sudden money is not a prop vested property, right? Never brought their case, never did anything with it dog bites, whatever, what's, would I then have a constitutional right then if the General Assembly so decided to revive all those also? So look, I mean, you're- Because my law partner down, down the hall opening, really wants to know. The thing that you honed in on to like the, the, the ultimate question, and that's like, you're opening up Pandora's box and what precedent are you setting um, if you do that? So I think- I think you you've got to be wide eyed and look that problem directly in the eye and understand the implications of what you're doing, and that's exactly right. I love right. the fact that you're still a politician. Yeah, yeah, you no, have but to be as measured as you fun. can. But in no, these look, I think no, you're you're absolutely right. That's the that's the question. So you know, and if if this is upheld or whatever the courts say, then you know, does that give the general assembly license to to pursue other areas? Um, and what are those? What are the implications for that? It is a... Uh, that's not as insignificant. That's serious. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I can't... There's no... You know, I had a case that came in here one time where they missed their statute and they just didn't know, right? I mean, yeah. but like... And they genuinely didn't know, but they had a... I remember it very distinctly. Like, there was a drunk driving case and they had been injured and had family members killed in a drunk driving accident. And had they filed their case... They would have recovered substantial. Not that that would ever Bring back make it better, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? But that's the civil. That's that's what the civil justice, justice system is about. Yeah. Um, and they were unable to bring their case. I mean, it just if 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 that case had been filed, it would have been tossed out immediately. They missed their statute of limitations. It's a horrific thing that happened to them. And I just I try to I struggle with this in. With, with looking at this, if you're going to do this for this one, then why not? Why couldn't that person also be allowed to bring their case? They missed their statute of limitations, too. Yeah, I fully understood the implications of of the bill, and I'm I'm happy we passed it. Um, here's here's the way I here's how I, I kind of went went to that on it. A is we we put caps on liability, which is so, I, I, somewhat of a somewhat of a <laughs> you know. We also raise caps. So if, I mean, one thing is true is that the public entities are definitely going to be subject to greater exposure. So there's more justice to be sought and, and, and gained there. That's definitely constitutional. The question of constitutionality for the private entities, um, for me, it was a question of like, well, let this be litigated in the courts. It's, let's, let's give the opportunity for the victims of child sex abuse to have that argument in court. 
and have the courts say what they say. But let's give them that opportunity. All right, I'm not. That's gonna how I went to I'm not going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Ain't much more, although you know it's a big bill. It's a big. It's a huge. And bill. you're the chairman. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, you know, yeah. heavy wears the crown yeah, yeah. or something so like that. That's what. I mean, that's where I came down on. I have another question. Yeah. One more, and then I will, and then we'll be done. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I want to talk about a million. This is. I think it's really important for people to hear this because they are getting. We are getting in. And if you drive down 83, oh, this, there's oh. eight million advertisements for this. Social media. I mean, I'm every every time on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, and I see it every day. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> If you were in a juvenile justice facility and you got, and you had, I don't want to say rape because I want, I want to make this, you know, not that, but let's say you were, um, I don't know. I don't know. Some, something that was less than that, but it fits within the, within the confines of this bill. Meaning like, you know, there was something that happened. You were in juvenile custody in the 1970s. A corrections officer touched you inappropriately or something like that. You can now sue the state of Maryland. That's right. I have a question on that. If you were in that same facility at Hickey, because this did happen, and that same juvenile, off, that same officer beat the living shit out of somebody until within an inch of their life, like, you know, intense damage to their body, you know, brain damage, you know, you come up with the most, hor- like, just beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them. Which unfortunately did happen in some of our facilities yeah. back in back in the '60s and '70s, which is why, well, it's another issue. Which is why you know a lot of us you know try to take these yeah. things down. One of those kids can sue; the other one is out. What's uh, the justification? Like, how do we justify that? There's the look. I mean, the thing is just to seek uh, justice and 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 uh, recompense for the victim of child sex abuse. Um, Leaves a lot of people on the side. Well, for a, a separate issue, yeah. And so, I mean, if that's an issue that I think gets entertained before the general assembly, then bring it up. You know, what I mean, then then let's have that discussion on that as well. Yeah. I think that you could have that, you know, that type of abuse and psychological abuse, and, and I could go on and give you more and more. And we could we could create an inexhaustive list of, yeah. of crimes and or offenses that that occurred that should come in that could come in um and i think you have to have that discussion in in the policy forum to have to make sure you know to, to see if that's a, a wise decision moving forward but again this is focused on victims of child sex abuse and, and that's where the the conversation was isolated yeah so it's tough i yeah. appreciate you yeah, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. i want to say this is hard right these yeah, are hard yeah, yeah, yeah. i hope people who if anybody ever listens to this and really digs in like let me just say this is tough Right, all yeah. these bills—they're complicated. Yeah. They're—they are not an advertisement, or unfortunately, in my opinion, and you should definitely not comment on this. But but what our lack of press does these days—you know—it's like they—it's—it's it's just clickbait and clickbait and clickbait. Whereas this is your what you're talking about on abortion, on guns, on this issue, and everything—it's so complex, and there are so many hypotheticals and everything. It's why it's why you know. I mean, I, I admire, I, I watch you and obviously we've been friends for a long time, but yeah. I, so I love listening to your stuff and when I hear it, but like understanding the complexity of this and to have somebody like you who gets it, who's a lawyer, who understands, who thinks, who, who's hypothetical, I mean, it thinks through all these hypotheticals and where does it lead and what's the, you know, it's like playing, you know, three-dimensional chess and thinking all these moves ahead. So, well, this is one of those issues. Look, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. You, the more you pulled on the thread, the more complicated it got, and it's one of those things that I'm not quite sure that you'll ever f- be fully satisfied of. Like you knew all the secondary, tertiary 
consequences of one of my concerns with it was that like the was some like you know the private schools like you have something you have a lot of kids that go to for for, you know the the baltimore sun keeps talking about the catholics the sliver of the cases it's a sliver it's small i mean they keep talking about as if somehow this is a religious only issue and it's not and you know you look at the private school any of them i mean all you have to do is find something that happened from back in the 60s or 70s or whatever and you could you could bankrupt any one of them um which concerns me i mean it, it it's it's a concern on that front but i guess i guess we'll see how it plays out i think that that gets tossed out in court but we'll see we'll see i mean i think one of the good another you know kind of safety guardrail mechanism put put in there and uh was the interlocutory appeal piece which um will as soon as this happens it'll it goes directly yeah the question smart. the question of constitutionality goes directly i think uh it was funny. I was talking to counsel about that. I was like, that was really smart. I'm glad we put that in there. Um, and it's good to have people uh, watching from the, that you can lean on to help you advise on that. Cause it, that was a very good feature that I thought we put in that yeah, will help. just get you a quick answer on the constitution. You don't want people hanging out there. Sue settle, Sue settle. I mean, that's, that's the, the threat that I was worried about with, especially with the private entities, like the private schools or whatever, that people just sue and scare the bejesus out of you. And you just want to settle because you don't want the press. You don't want anything else. You right. just want to make it go away. And so, We'll know. We'll yeah, know. We'll, we'll know. Yeah, like yeah. October first, there's going to be about eight million lawsuits. Did that get? Yeah, it goes into effect October first. October one. There's going to be like yeah. ten thousand lawsuits that are being filed at that point in time. So I guess people uh, are ready. The Court of Appeals is uh, is going to be a is going to be the hot place. I can't. I can't even remember. So the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court of, of Maryland and Chief Justice, not Judge anymore. Chief Justice Bader. Right. Justices. They're justices now. Miller hated that bill. I know. I know. <laughs> So I have so many things I want to talk about. I know we've been here for a while. I just want to do a couple more because I think, like, if any guest that I'll ever have, like, to me at least, typifies, like, exemplifies what I'm trying to get across, which is complexity of law, you know, working across the aisle, it's you. It really is, like, to to have people that understand how to deal with all these forces and to work with people you don't necessarily agree with whether somebody ends up agreeing or disagreeing with with where you come down like i I feel like there's very few people who typify and exemplify i can't remember i don't know which one's the right word but anyway like the concept of what we're trying to do so i think it's kind of cool having you here so i'm making you sit here for a little (laughs) appreciate it well no i'm great this is great this is a great idea i hope you know it takes off and people learn you have more people come through because uh, this is exactly a type of like substantive thing that that I think people are, are thirsty and hungry for. I hope so. Because um, you get in, and, and it's all it's us. Like it's, you get into the details, but then you also talk about the kind of the social, you know, other and the other factors that kind of shape the policymaking process. It's fun. It's substantive. It'll, it'll be good. It'll be all good. right. So you tell me what, what what's a bill that that I, have? I mean I want to ask you about the 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 death with dignity bill because I think sure. that that's something interesting coming up. But let's put that one aside for a second. Is there anything any any bill that uh, that you want to talk about something that maybe either you did or something that's common or you know some some issue that you think is you know, important for people to know about. Sure, well, I thought you know, look, we've covered the um, protection of abortion. I think those are significant uh, step forward that we, we did in Maryland. So three bills that we did: protect privacy, protect people from civil, criminal, and administrative penalties, and to enshrine the the right is to choose in into our constitution. I think that was a, a these are great. The uh, one of those bills is my bill, so I'm particularly proud of that. But um, look, we did a lot of great things this session for uh, continued reform and public safety. I think public safety next year is my number. It's always our number one priority, but I really do want to focus in on public safety, and that 
includes continued gun safety, but I always try to bring the two sides together. You have, you know, gun safety, people that are interested in the constitutional stuff like the Bruin stuff, but then there's also the gun safety issue of illegal guns, um, which make up the vast majority of the guns that are commi- that are killing people, right. killing killing Marylanders. Um, and we have not adequately addressed illegal guns in, in the General Assembly, and it's because it deals with issues of race and class, and it gets mucky, and, and it's hard to talk about. And if I could bring kind of the, uh, the gun safety people that are worried about the wear carry permits together with the illegal gun people that are concerned about that, I think that's where you can get a really good policy product. But it's, it's hard because those groups don't meld well together. They sometimes. do not meld because, well no. together, yeah. I'm wearing orange in today's, you know, uh, gun violence prevention and awareness day. So I'm wearing orange on your podcast for this. But um, I thought you were wearing that tight shirt just to like make no, make, no, make, no. Make you look the like only orange shirt I have. No, no, well, I appreciate it. It's the only <laughs> orange shirt I have. Um, but it's one of those things where if you bring together like the moms and man action people, and then you know people that are interested in in addressing you know people that uh, use illegal guns to to kill and murder people. Uh, and a number of whom have done so multiple times. I think you need to bring those two people, those two groups into into discussion to to have thoughtful gun policy um, and not just trafficking. I mean, people talk about well, traffic, gun trafficking. The reason why, and we talked about how our gun trafficking statute is not really used in Maryland. And the reason why is because the feds do that. Right. Um, that's Eric Barron's territory. And right. so you got to go to those numbers. But that's why our statute is kind of underutilized because of um, there are federal uh, enhancements and penalties that are more severe for that type of uh, activity. And so the feds generally take it, even if it's you know someone arrested by a Baltimore City police officer, the feds will generally take something like that. So there's a lot more we could be doing for um, violence and gun violence, um, the majority of which is killing our kids and killing our people of color, black folks. Yeah. And so it's it's something that I definitely do not want to leave the General Assembly without having made a significant dent in that. And a lot we know this, like you can't, a lot of the stuff we do, it's not going to take effect or really, you know, you're not going to see the fruits of your labor right away. It'll, right. it'll be 10, 15 years later, maybe five years later. Um, but that's, that's where the political courage comes in because, you, you know, it doesn't bear immediate political fruit, but it's the responsible and important thing to do. I yeah. mean, I admire you for tackling that. I tried. Um, I know. And I got roundly critic. You know, it's like if you do anything that's – I mean, somebody disagrees with every – there's some group that disagrees with whatever you do in that realm. Yep. You know, if you want to make tougher sentences for repeat violent offenders, there are – progressive type groups Same. that say that, that that's racist, then you're a racist for even talking about it. There are people who don't, you know, there are Second Amendment people that say if you touch guns that, I mean, it's just no matter what, what you, you do, do, unless you just throw money at it, if you throw money, then nobody criticizes you, but that doesn't necessarily tackle the issue. I'll tell you, you know, one thing we're going to, and this is a, I want to do that. I'm going to bring, I'm hoping to bring the secretary at one point. The one thing that kind of DJS or for DJS. Oh, I want to talk about that too. That is like the one area where if you get that right, and I'm and and I don't think we do. We um, don't. But like, if you catch kids early before they do something horrible, before they're getting into guns and drugs and this kind of thing, and you catch them on their lower level offenses and get them back on track, then that might be able to have. It's a longer term play, but like. You know, I know our, some of our friends, like, the focus has been a little bit on the courtroom stuff after they get caught and who goes yeah. wh- who goes to which court and who goes to which facility. You know, the direct like file, the youth charges adults. Yeah, right. that's... We... To me, 
it's an interesting academic thing, but that's not juvenile justice reform. Reform is like, okay, how do you take this kid and get him on track? Like what, what resource, what mentors, what this, what that? That's one place I think where a lot of people can read, the people put their arms down, but like, that's tough stuff. That's exactly right. So we, we, we are, we're definitely going to get the youth charges adults bill again. Um, and I, I remember stood up when Sheraldi was being read across the desk because it's for Senate confirmation. I stood up and said, look, you know, I, I hope that the, the secretary can get this ship righted because we are never, we, we are in no position to make further reforms unless this department gets it right. I mean, it's contingent. Like they're, them getting it right is contingent on us doing anything else with regard to juvenile reform. And direct file is front and center on that. If you want us to, and there's a compromise that we have there, and I think that's you know, that that the state's attorneys actually agreed to, that the public defenders will never agree to. But it, you know, just for for juvenile jurisdiction, and that ends at 21. And so you're telling, I mean, if you have someone that commits a serious violent offense at 17, that means by 21, they're gone. That's crazy. And there's no record. And that's no, a terrible. There's no idea. ability to have. <laughs> So that's a horrifyingly bad idea. So, so I mean, right? That's my opinion. <laughs> I I think that's absolutely. I mean, can you imagine telling people in the public like you 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 you're, you just got shot by this person? They're 17 years old, and they're not going to even have a record. That's that they're not, nobody's going to know that. And, the and there are no services, no mandatory no services serve, right. for that. That's, and then, that's crazy. So here's the thing. I mean, like you've got to bump up juvenile jurisdiction. You've got to curtail the offenses that are eligible for that. And I think I mean I think that's I mean that, that, that's it. I and mean, that's just the hard medicine that the that the public defenders are going to have to hear and, and take. If we're going to make any of those any movement there, but also we have to have assurances from the secretary that they have the ability and the capacity to provide those services, um, and that's not that's a that's a very much an open question. That's and a so, huge open question. So it, look, I mean, I'm thinking about in Prince George's County, you have this case where a 15 year old went on a school bus, tried to execute another 15 year old, the gun jammed, didn't do it. So the sister that called the hit. For that, for that activity to happen, for that 15-year-old to go and shoot that kid on the bus, the sister got nervous. It got on the news, and the sister was going to go. The sister of the person that called in the, the, the hit yeah. was going to go tell the police. That boy, that 15-year-old boy, shot and killed the sister for trying to snitch. He just got caught yesterday. Aisha Brave Boy and Angel Alza Brooks run held a press conference. They caught him. He's 15 years old. So to your point, it's not about like what you do after. Right. Is what the hell was a fifteen-year-old right. doing? Like I'm talking to some of my friends that have fifteen-year-olds, and they're they still have like you know they're they're learning to drive. They still sleep with a animal. They still you know read you know kids' books. And like, mine you know, shoots really good jump shots. And, but, but, but they should be out playing basketball. Or, you know, be right. like you know reading it's books. And like, that is fifteen years old. Right. That's incredible. I mean, and and that so the point to your point is it's not about after. It's about. What what did we do or not do as a society to 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 create that situation where someone who's 15 has access to a weapon and the mental like the thinking of just I'm going to go take someone's life right you like, know the, as what a, are we doing as a society that that's creating that what I always found to me I was the chair of the juvenile law subcommittee when I was in the house yeah. and at the time Hickey Cheltenham they were monster facilities they had yeah. hundreds and hundreds of kids that were getting abused that were getting that, and they were churning out criminals. I'm not sure that that. I mean, I'm not sure how much better we are now at it. But but at the end of the, you know, it's harder to deal with now. Like they're much better at the PR than they used to be for yeah. for G, DJS. But like, what I always found, I, I I took this trip and it was a bipartisan trip by the Annie Casey Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Missouri of all places, and it was like 
you had this like very conservative governor at the time. I can't remember his name. He, I, I can't remember his name, but this is years ago. And just through Democratic and Republican legislators, Democratic Republican governorships, they had this amazing juvenile justice system where the, I mean, I walked into these facilities where they had very serious offenders and it'd be like 15 of them. And there's 30 adults of some sort, you know, you know, psychologists and teachers yeah. and gym, the, you know, and, fil- and they were targeting resources at these kids to get these kids off because they were going to come out at some point in time. And they got these ki- their recidivism rate, which of course, like Maryland's like, Oh no, they fudge their numbers. But I, I don't think that's actually true. Like Missouri, they, they just did amazing things. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't rocket science. They put them in small facilities with lots of resources. And I don't mean money. They were they, they had professionals that were working with them. They were teaching them trades. They were teaching them ways of making money other than selling drugs. It was amazing. And their crime stats, you know, kind of bore fruit on that. And, and Kentucky did similar stuff. Yeah. 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 And that does under Republican leadership. Yeah. So amazing stuff. Yeah. All right. So, I've kept you here too long. I'm sure I'm getting a high sign over here. Uh, but and we got to, you know, at some point we're going to have to have lunch. But th- this has been amazing. Did I miss anything real quick before we go? No, no. We could go on for hours on this though. This we could do another another one of this. We're going to do bourbon it. or something. Yeah, bourbon, bourbon. and off. <laughs> yeah, and maybe we'll bring maybe we'll bring Jill in here too. But let, let me good. just say, and I say this not just because you're my friend, but also because I'm a citizen of the state of Maryland now, a private citizen. That thank God. Um, God bless you. I, yeah, <laughs> you know, life life is green over here. But anyway, um, I just want to say I want I appreciate you coming here. Like I said, th- you are the one of the people I have in mind when I think about what I wanted to do with a podcast. Talk about hardcore legal policy and the intersection of that with politics. And hope that people, if they listen to this, they they understand that all of these issues are complicated. And that the only way you get good policy is to find common ground. It's not that you sacrifice your principles. This is my philosophy. That's true. But that you, you, you don't sacrifice your principles, but you hear, you know, this, the person who comes from here, the person who has this perspective, this per- and they bring all these perspectives together. I always found that that's the best way of, of finding good common ground makes good common good policy. That was always my thought on it. Look, I appreciate your friendship and your mentorship um, and your service to the state of Maryland, but also for, the, for this. This is a great uh, platform, and I hope you continue continue with this because I, I, you know, people who listen to this are going to get like substantive, meaty conversation. It's going to be fun. But So I really appreciate this. This is a real public service that you're doing. So appreciate I appreciate it. it. It's good no, stuff. Great it's good stuff. to be here So with you. listen, so for – let me just do our, our closing is that for – on behalf of uh, Senator Will Smith, chairman of the of the esteemed Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee, upholding the gavel uh, and the tra- and the and the fine tradition of JPR, uh, I am Senator Bobby Zarkin uh, with Across the Aisle. I thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. All Great. right.